Welcome to the Bjerknes podcast and welcome to the podcast booth at Climate Festival Varmare, Våtare, Villare in Bergen. I am Inger Pieskog and the host for this episode. With me today in the booth, I have Rachel Sanders, a postdoctoral fellow at the Bjerknes Center and Norse Research. Rachel, welcome. Thank you very much. I understand that you are here today to join the session Around the World with Climate Science and I ought to talk about the breathing ocean. This talk is based on the research done at the O2 Ocean Project led by Nadine Goris and you have newly joined that project? Yes, I moved here in November to start working on the project. Yeah, so how did you find the winter? Um, it wasn't the best time to move to Bergen, I think. It, was, it rained a lot and it was very dark. It was a bit of a shock, but yeah. it's much nicer now. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand that. Um, so before we go into the project and the research you're going to do there, uh, like, who are you and how did you end up here? Um, so I started doing oceanography at university. Um, I went to the University of Liverpool and did a degree and master's in oceanography there. Um, then I moved to the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge, where I did a PhD. Um, so there my research was looking at the variability in water masses in the Southern Ocean around Antarctica. Um, we were specifically looking at how changes in sea ice from year to year affect the water masses that are formed, so affect the properties of the ocean around Antarctica. Um, and after my PhD, I carried on working at the British Antarctic Survey for another 18 months. Then I moved on to looking at the North Atlantic Ocean. So I was looking at the... In 2015, the North Atlantic was very, very cold compared to the rest of the ocean, which was much warmer than you'd um, than usual and we were looking at what caused that um, and after I finished working on that project I applied for the job here and started working in O2 Ocean. Oh interesting so you're coming from an institution with very long uh, track record and uh, history then? Yeah yeah I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Did you actually go to the Antarctic or? Um, yeah twice as part of my PhD um, I went on cruises for two months at a time. I've never stepped foot on the land there, just on the ships, but <laughs> it was still very scenic. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, you're lucky. I have, yeah. I've never been down there, but I really would want to go. So Yeah, I was very lucky to get to go there. Did you actually jump into the ocean as well? Or? No, that that wasn't allowed anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. Strange. I know. <laughs> no, the closest I got was putting my hand into a bucket of water that we'd taken up from the ocean but that was cold enough yeah so. <laughs> it wasn't sub-zero but it was close to it yeah it was it felt very cold <laughs> yeah. uh, from that part of your research then like what did you actually find about the water out about water masses um so we we're looking at so from up till 2015 sea ice around antarctica was actually increasing so the more sea ice there was the more fresh water was released at the edge of the sea ice mm -hmm. and I was looking at trying to work out where that fresh water ended up and looking how far north it got into the water masses um, and there's some water masses that form around Antarctica in very very deep regions where they absorb a lot of the carbon dioxide and heat that we release into the atmosphere so they're very important for mitigating climate change mm -hmm. and I was looking at whether the sea ice gets into those regions, the fresh water from the sea ice, sorry, gets into those regions. 
and how it affects it. So we were seeing that in years when there's very high sea ice, then you get more fresh water into those regions. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at the salinity of the water masses that form there, it tends to be low when there's higher sea ice. So when the salinity is low, it won't be so heavy, so it won't go so deep and form the deep water. Exactly, yeah. So anything that affects the density of those water masses then affects how much of the water mass is formed and how much carbon dioxide and heat that that water mass can take in from the atmosphere and take into the deeper ocean. So actually, like, so the increase in sea ice until 2015, that sort of were working against us, mm. but... Now it's not so much. Well, there's a lot of different things that are affecting it. So it's not just the salinity that affects mm. the density. It's also the temperature as well. So the warmer waters also, the, sorry, the as the wa water warms, mm. it also gets less dense. So it's not just the sea ice. The, the mm. temperature of the water is the main driver of the density in that region. Mm -hmm. So we were more looking at how the properties of it change and whether that can lead to density changes. Mm. But it still is the temperature that is the main, yeah. the main driver of the density changes in that region. Mm. Very interesting. And then you move to the North Atlantic, mm -hmm. which were exceptionally cold in 2015. Yes. Yeah. Did you discover the reason there? Or? And there was a very, um, very anomalous winds in the region that seemed to be carrying colder air from the Arctic over that region. So while the rest of the ocean in the world was experiencing these very warm temperatures there was just this anomalous cold air that was growing over the north atlantic and the cold air from the atmosphere was being absorbed into the ocean so that was creating this layer of colder water on the surface of the ocean and that was being um so that then subducted into the deeper ocean and the following year it came up again as the and was re kind of re-emerged into the surface of the ocean so it made this cold anomaly mm. go carry on for two or three years rather than just when the winds happened yeah so that normal like ocean transport ban of like it didn't actually transfer this these cold deep water masses out of the region it just resurfaced yeah again. no they were they stayed in the ocean and you can see if you look at um, mm. plots of this you can see that layer of cold is on the surface at the start mm. and then it sinks and it's below like the mixed layer of the ocean mm. and then the following year as the mixed layer deepens in winter yeah it kind of re-entrains all of that colder water back into the surface so the cold anomaly pops mm. up again yeah. and you can see it in the figures again right is this is this something that is like recurring at certain intervals or was this a unique event this seemed to be a unique event um we didn't look too much into it, but it's whether it's affected by the climate modes mm. that are happening in the region. So the North Atlantic Oscillation, mm. um, it seemed to be something to do with the atmosphere at the time caused it. Mm. But it was pretty unique and it, um, it's been associated as well. At the same time, there was a um, heat wave across Europe oh, and that was a, um, that's been connected to mm. this cold anomaly. Yeah, so, so warmer weather over mainland Europe cause this colder ocean in the North Atlantic? No, the other way around. Oh, I think. Way yeah. Around. So they okay. think, so I'm not an expert yeah. in this, so I was looking at the ocean only, but um, from what I read, the cold anomaly then caused, it caused mm. the um, circulation patterns in the atmosphere yeah. to change. Right. So then there, were, there was warmer weather across mm. Europe in that, in so that spot. So 
this is just one more evidence of how much the ocean in the North Atlantic actually affects us in Europe. Yeah, definitely. And that was mm. one of the more exciting things about moving to the North and moving to work on the North Atlantic, mm. is you can see how it affects things closer yeah. to home and you can connect the events that we see yeah. to what I'm researching. But you said this was a unique event. Uh, like, is this something that we could predict happening more in the future and um i'm not really sure so some of the the one of the things that was unique about this event is it didn't show up in some climate models so we we didn't predict it mm. so that was one of the reasons that people like to research it to see what caused it and what processes mm. were missing in those climate models so I guess one, the more research we do and the more we understand what causes these anomalous events, the more we can, the more information we have to put into the models mm. to be able to forecast these things in the future. Yeah, very interesting. And now this work led you here to Bergen and the O2 Ocean Project. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, what's the main research goal of this project? So the... Total oxygen in the ocean has been decreasing now for about just over 50 years, and it's decreased by about 2% globally. But the models um, looking at this haven't seen the same increase, so they're underestimating the increase. So the project is looking at what what is causing the changes in oxygen, what processes are driving these changes in oxygen, and so we can better understand them, again, to be able to put them in some of the models, mm. to be able to better predict the future changes in oxygen with climate change. Mm. Like with, with oxygen, like it's of course, it's vital for the life and so on. So I guess like primary production in the ocean will affect this, uh, the temperature probably. And like, how could you give a short version how this is connected? Yeah, so there's a lot of different processes that are affecting the oxygen change. And this is what I'm looking at at the moment mm. is to try and understand which processes are causing how much of the change. Mm. So the main, I guess the most direct process is that as water gets warmer, it can absorb less oxygen from the atmosphere because it's less salt, it can less take up less gases. Warmer water can hold less gas. So it absorbs less oxygen across the surface of the ocean from the atmosphere. Mm. So that's one problem. Then another one is that as the water warms, it becomes more stratified. So there's less mixing of the water masses. Mm. And so that oxygen is not transferred as easily from the surface where it tends to be formed or absorbed and into the deeper ocean. So that causes the decrease in oxygen in the deep well. water yeah but then you've got all the other problems with the other effects that can happen as well so the biology how much biological um consumption and production of oxygen is changing mm. and whether that is one of the reasons why um there's a decrease in oxygen so that's a lot of, a lot of the project is trying to understand the difference the how much these different processes are having an effect mm. interesting so your role in the process is looking into this gas transfer or do you have a, another specific goal in, um, for you? So we're looking at, so we're getting all the observations and at the moment we're looking at the Atlantic Ocean but hopefully, hoping to move that more globally. Mm. And we're just trying to find or trying to quantify how much of 
the oxygen change from year to year is down to each of the processes. So we're separating the change in oxygen into the change in the flux across the surface and the change in the redistribution of the water within the ocean and how the circulation is affecting the oxygen and the biological changes. Mm. So we're trying to come up with a method that quantifies this change so mm. we can understand what processes are the most important. So what makes you excited about being part of this project? Um, it's the first time I've done anything that looks at looks directly at trends due to climate change. So it's mm. I, in the past I've looked at specific events or year-to-year -year change, but this mm. is the first time looking at the actual trend over time that is specifically due to climate change, which is very interesting. And also, like you said, the oxygen is so important for animals and it is something that people understand is important. So mm. it's nice to be able to direct, directly um, join the work that we're doing to its effects and to see why it's important. Hmm. Interesting. So you're, a bit, you're touching a bit of, onto it right now, but like, how does this fit in the bigger picture then? Um, so just because, like, we know climate change is affecting the world and we know it's making the ocean warmer and driving ocean acidification. So this is just looking at the effect that climate change has on the oxygen in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we don't really hear much about in the media, um, but it is hugely important because all life needs oxygen. Mm -hmm. So we need to know in future how oxygen is going to change, especially in different regions, because it changes more in some regions than other regions. And if you get regions where certain animals can no longer survive, then that's going to be hugely impact. Mm. That's going to hugely impact us as humans as well. So like, could you now say a bit like which regions will be worst impacted and which won't be impacted that much? Um, I've not looked much into that yet. Um, mm. So it tends, I think, because there's, there's other things that affect oxygen as well, so it tends mm. to be coastal areas that are most effective, um, mm. affected because of other processes that are happening at the same time. So um, fertilizers through farming can get into the ocean and change the oxygen content. Mm. So coastal areas tend to be the most impacted, but it's generally the surface of the ocean that we're seeing the biggest change mm. in the oxygen globally because it's the surface where the majority, where, where the oxygen is absorbed mm. from the atmosphere. Right. Um, okay, um, so this is very serious matter that you're, been that you're going to look into. Uh, so what makes you worried about the future? Um, I guess the same as everyone, that climate change and whether it's taken seriously or not. Um, mm. And yeah, as much as it's interesting looking at trends due to climate change, it is quite scary as well. And the problem with oxygen as well, even if we stop all emissions of carbon dioxide today, the changes in oxygen will continue for many years because of all the effects that it's already had, mm. that the climate change has already had on the ocean. Yeah. So it's not just as straightforward as we stop global emissions and then everything is back to normal. So it would take a long time to Yeah, because the, the ocean things. is very slow in sort of processing the signals. Exactly, yeah, anyway. and we've been affecting it for so many years already. Yeah. That, um, so yeah, it can be scary to think about too much. <laughs> yeah, to end on a bit better note then, um, <laughs> what makes you hopeful about the future? Um, 
I think the fact that everyone talks about climate change now, that mm. we're at a festival that is just talking about the climate um, and that with every generation, the younger people care more and more about the climate and make sure that politicians are talking about it, that everyone is talking about the climate and people want to do something to change it. People mm. recognise there is a problem and want to change. Well, thank you for joining me. I've learned a lot and get a lot of things a lot to think about so thank you for joining me here in the booth thank you for having me yeah so good luck with your talk later today and good luck with your research thanks very much you have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjerknes center for climate research the podcast was recorded at the climate festival varmara votara velara in a podcast booth provided by Numenu Podcast Simplified. Responsible for the podcast and the editing is me, Engel Pilskog, Associated Professor at Western University of Applied Sciences.